SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites and compares prices for you, so you can save time and money. Plus, their mobile app is ridiculously easy to use. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. That's promo code SEATS for $20 off. SeatGeek. Right seat, right now, right from your phone. Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy and now, here's Jerry Springer. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, let me, uh, I, I should apologize ahead of time. I am fighting a cold, losing. So my voice is very manly. Wow, that's a change. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Jerry. Testing one, two. Yeah. No, but I really like it like this, you know. <clears throat> it's good hey, how voice. you doing? Hey, how you doing? No. Hey, you, so, you know, yeah. speaking of manly, yeah, I, 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 I want to talk manly. to you about Harley Davidson's for a minute. Yes. Because you've ridden Harley Davidson's. I know because I've been with you. Yeah. Twice to Sturgis and out west, well, let's, South Dakota. Yeah, but people shouldn't get the wrong idea here, okay? So this all started, you, you want to talk about how we all got bikes. Okay, you, in fairness, were the only one that actually rode a motorcycle. What are you talking about? You rode... No, yeah, well, oh, because no, but it's I a mean, three-wheeler. Before okay. we got into this, you are, now admittedly it wasn't a very big one. It was like a starter bike. <laughs> Have you ever seen his motorcycle? Uh-uh. Honestly, no. I've let my grandson on it. <laughs> but anyway, he had a two-wheeler, okay? So he had a motor. Gene had a motorcycle, that's true. So our friend was having his 60th birthday, so we got him a trike. A Harley-Davidson th- show bike is beautiful, by the it way. Was be- but it was red, and it looked a little unmanly. But anyway, we got it for him because he never was on a bike. And I wasn't either. And at this age, you don't start trying to get balance. So he's riding. So he got it. And I remember him going down the street at his birthday party. And we're thinking, this is horrible. And his wife was yelling at me because, you know. <laughs> like, he, why did you he, buy that for yeah, him? He's yeah, he's going to get killed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he really got to like it. Jump ahead two years or three years later. Yeah. And you said, why don't the three of us go to Sturgis? Sturgis, for those of you who don't know, they have a bike rally every summer where they have literally half a million bikers converge on this town of Sturgis, which has 6,000 people normally. 6,000 is the population, and there were half a million people show up. These bikers. Okay, here's the problem. I've never been on a bike in my life. (laughs) So if I'm going to go with them, i got to take lessons or something. We'll rent a... So I took lessons, and, yeah. but here's the thing. And then they give you a test. Well, you know, it was at an airport landing strip, or a tarmac. tarmac. So I practiced going back and forth, and then they put these little cones. Nobody died. Nobody died. There were no people on there, but <laughs> nobody died. And you okay. passed? And I passed the test, the written exam. I paid him 50 bucks. And okay, <laughs> so I passed the test, and like the next day or two days later, we're going to Sturgis. Yep. Riding through Spearfish Canyon, Keyhole, phenomenal riding out west. When I say we're going to Sturgis, we flew up to Sturgis, Uh and then (laughs) about 10 miles out, there's a rental place. Now, we go to the rental place. I get on this trike, 
understand I have never, ever in my life been out on an actual road. Remember, because I'm taking lessons. This is true. I'm taking lessons on the tarmac. So I've never been on a street with other vehicles. There are half a million bikers. And this thing, it's got like, what do you call it, a clutch? Yes, it has a clutch. It's not automatic. Yeah, a clutch, no. <laughs> and, and I, you know, now they say, okay, get on it. I show them the license, paid the money. Now I'm on it. But there are thousands of bikers behind me waiting to get out on the road because I'm on the driveway there. And, and, and of course, I stall. And they're screaming, you know, hey, buddy, and all this. Well, I'm not going to take my helmet off because if they recognize me, I'm dead. <laughs> you kidding me? They, hey, they, that's, that's, let me compare that's that. That's how we started. Well, let me compare that's that. Awful. Do you know who John Glenn is, Jerry? Yes, of Senator yes. John Glenn. Yes. So uh, Paul Hackett, and I think he may be in our audience tonight. And Paul Hackett, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Hackett, thanks for yes. your service. U.S. Marine Corps served in Iraq. So he ran for Congress in Ohio a few years back. Do you yes, remember that? You I supported remember. him. Absolutely. I supported him. I volunteered in his campaign one time. And this has to do with John Glenn and Harley's. And uh, Paul Hackett said to me, what would you think if this Saturday, when there was going to be a campaign event with three hits, you remember this yes. from your days in yes. politics. First one was a fundraiser at his house on the east side of Cincinnati. The second was at a union event on the west side of Cincinnati. The third was out in the rural part of the district in which he was running uh, many miles away. We were going to spend the whole day going to these three places. Yep. And Paul said, how about if we ride Harleys? Because he had a Harley Davidson, I had a Harley Davidson. We got some union guys who joined us. About 10 Harley Davidsons are parked in Paul Hackett's driveway. And there were a lot of people there. It was a fundraiser. The honorary speaker was Senator John Glenn. This was just a few years ago. Yeah, so How old he, is John Glenn well, today? Well, now he's in, his, he's in his 90s okay. uh, wow. as alert. And, I mean, he's a wonderful he's man. But he's amazing. Alert as can be. And so he. So you're he's saying a, at, at 87, 88 oh, years old, he's getting on the well, bike? Well, I don't. I mean, he's inside talking with people in there. Everybody's happy to get a picture and autograph with John Glenn. And I'm standing outside near the motorcycles because we were then going to lead a caravan from the first event to the second event to the third event with maybe 10 motorcycles and maybe 20, 25 cars behind the motorcycles yep. with the intent that we would all stay together as we move through the city, down freeways, eventually out to the rural area. I look out of the corner of my eye, I realize that John Glenn is now walking down the line of motorcycles parked in Paul's driveway. Beautiful Harleys. And Harleys, you know, all kidding aside, are works of art. They're just yes. beautiful. So John Glenn is wistfully looking at these Harleys, and he says to me, and he doesn't know me from a barn door, I mean, and, yeah. but he's just talking to one of the riders, and he says, uh, I want to get one of these. Now, when you say that to a Harley person, we're like, crack dealers yeah. we're like dude you could have one in an hour because he probably has yeah, like what you have there's a headline he probably harley, has a <laughs> harley riders are crack dealers <laughs> next tonight no, at 11 always always trying to yeah. draw more people in and i yeah. think he has what you have don't you have like i have an american express card that's just like silver or something you don't you have a black card that you could buy like a castle in scotland or something <laughs> yeah. by just putting your card down? my people have that your people so i think it, John Glenn, we're trying, we say to him, you ought to get a Harley. And yeah. then his wife, Mrs. Glenn, yeah, Annie Glenn, wonderful yeah. person, comes out and walks up. And she's sort of joking, saying, you know, do not tell him to go buy a motorcycle. This is like, you know, yeah, ridiculous. We'll okay, fast forward. 
Event ends, we get on our bikes, Paul Hackett in the front, 20 cars behind. John Glenn is driving a Lincoln town car, driving himself with his wife next to him. We leave and I'm thinking, I wonder how many of us will be together by the time we get to the west side of Cincinnati, 10 or 15 miles away. The Harley riders out, including on I-75, they're like a swarm of bees. They're just everybody's together. And Paul Hackett's, you know, breaking all the rules, shooting through traffic, changing three lanes. We get to the event. The 10 motorcycles pull in together. And I turn around, and there's John Glenn standing behind me, a Lincoln town car. I said, how'd you do that? And he said, you were not going to get away from me. If you think about it, this guy has had his hair on fire in space two times, a test pilot, a combat fighter pilot. And so he wars. was going to not ride he as fast was, as you? There he, was no way There was, was no win. way. When you really because think about it. Because you're a it, barn door. I am a barn door. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. Now, yeah. he's, he, that's why I would vote for him, too, that he could stay with motorcycles covering 15 yeah. miles, you know. I think there are the reasons I would there, vote. There are wonderful reasons okay, why. Okay, so are we going to Summers of Sturgis? Are we going to do this again? What, do you remember the last time? Well, the last two times we went, there's a TV show. We should promote it. It's a great show called Full Throttle Saloon. It's a huge outdoor saloon, and it has easily 3,000 people in it. Easily. Okay, this is my spring break show. So anyway, we ride in, but we don't know, at least I had no idea. I hadn't heard about the television show. We didn't know any cameras would be there. So as soon as we pull in, the camera comes up right in my face. Yeah. What'd you think of that? We got to ride on the zip line. What did you think of that? Well, because I didn't know how to turn the motor off, and, I couldn't, <laughs> and then they were trying to park it for hey, me. Hey, Megan. You can't he, make those there, things there's go There's no way he would ride a zip line no. anywhere. And so yeah. they said to me, part of his posse, his guy. they said, yeah. anything else you think that you know, he'd want to do? And I said, he's been telling me all night he wants to ride the zip line. It was total BS. He, didn't even, he wouldn't even want to get near so it. They got him he'll the ride spot. the zip line? I said, hell yeah, I'll ride it, because it was a two zip line. This a double. a conversation so that I, didn't go on with me so i didn't no. know what he was talking about and they said come <laughs> with us friend. and then we start going up these stairs the That's stairs great. it is easily oh it's easily a 100. million feet off the ground feet. <laughs> it's certainly a hundred feet off the, the ground line oh, it's at created. least a hundred feet up it's way up it's from a, the saloon over, yeah over the, in a field it's an oh, outdoor it's saloon outdoor. and the thing is at least a hundred feet up, 10 at stories least. high yeah and i'm going and i'm worried about heights it still didn't dawn on me, why are we going up these steps? Because if I'm going fun. to speak to the crowd, why not from the <laughs> stage? <laughs> Suddenly, I say, hey, hold on, you know what I told him? I said, you got to get the harness on him fast because he will like chicken out. He doesn't really want to do this. We're like, oh, yeah, let's get the harness <laughs> but on But once him. you get up there, you can't, there's no way down. And there are 3,000 people starting to chant. Jerry, and, Jerry. And now the cameras are rolling and you... You can't cry on television. Again. You know, not during sweeps. It looks horrible. Hey, when that was over, was that fun? That I, was a blast. My pants were wet. What, <laughs> what is fun about that? I was holding on. You said you wouldn't on, do it again. Oh, someone had a video of it. It went on YouTube. I and I am holding on. There was nothing cool about it. I, I look like an old man, which I was, grasping on for dear life in the fetal position. That's the thing. That's uh, great. Going but over a bunch of You have spikers. to stretch out your legs when you get to the other side, or you 
go right back down in the middle again. Hey, Megan, this was the greatest part. So there were, they have two zip screaming. lines side screaming. by side. They both go to the same thing on the other side. And so he took off, and all the guys who are receiving the mm -hmm. traveler are all worried about him because he's like this old Brittle. man looking yeah. like he's wet in his pants. <laughs> and they paid no attention to me. It was horrible. And I, I came in, as they say, hot, yeah. like really fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm going across, and I'm thinking... I think I'm going to run into his ass when I get to the other side. Not well at all. And just at the last minute, they turn and they stop me. Or we were. Yeah. Well, I mean, nothing was going to happen other yeah. than this. They pile didn't have to get you with the hooks. I had to. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we won't do that this year. Yeah, we should do yeah. that too. Hey, do you see who's sitting here with us? An old friend of yours and mine who is the chairman of, I think, the Democratic Party in the state that's the most important in America. And it's Ohio, by yep. the way. Let's say hello to David Pepper. David was also a uh, local office holder in Cincinnati and Hamilton County and was a great candidate for attorney general. But, you know, he ran in the tsunami of the last election where the entire Democratic slate, you know, he, he did better than anyone else, but the entire Democratic slate was unsuccessful in Ohio, uh, unlike, you know, the years that Obama runs, but in the off-year elections, it, it's really been tough for the Democrats. And so, but immediately it became the clear choice to be the chairman of the Democratic Party uh, in Ohio. So, boy, you, you all of a sudden are center stage because when you look at the map for 2016, let's be honest, it's down to Ohio and Florida. Right. And so let me ask you, first of all, what happened in terms of 2014? Uh, 2014 was the lowest voter turnout in 70 years. And when you see 1942 was the last was the worst since. Wow. And, and as I say to people, they had a pretty good excuse in 1942. Uh, we didn't have yeah. an excuse. And when voter turnout falls that far, we know that most of the people who are not showing up are the ones who likely would have voted for Democrats. Uh, and so why had, do you think that was? Well, I, I'll, you know, bigger picture, I honestly think it's it's um, it's a whole lot of people deciding that politics these days is not relevant to their lives. It's bigger than just we didn't make enough phone calls, yeah. a few tactical mistakes. It wasn't just because one candidate had a bad you know, election, which one did. This is deeper. It's yeah. people are deciding. And this is the challenge of rebuilding our party is to be the party that makes politics relevant again. People are basically saying, we hear all the sides. We don't believe any of them anymore. And everything they're talking about doesn't really relate to us. And they're not going to do it anyway. So I think the challenge is, and really the opportunity is, is although last November was bad for Democrats, I'd say it was bad for everybody. You hear yeah. John Kasich spent millions of dollars to basically taking credit for the Obama recovery. Yeah. And, and even then, he spent millions. He had no opponent in the end. And he still saw the lowest voter turnout in, in 70 years. So it's not as if people were that excited about his message either. So, so for me, you know, last November was, was horrible for politics. Right. Uh, but it also, since neither side, I think, is really getting the job done, that's the opportunity, is to rebuild the party so that we're the ones who show people, hey, voting, not just when the president's at stake, but every year, if we can do our job of showing that it really makes a difference in your life, then all of a sudden we're the party that starts succeeding, not just every four years, but every single year. With the emergence of the social media over the last 15 years, can parties ever again become that relevant the reason being you know as much as i love president obama let's be honest 
He won because he went outside the basic party organization back in uh, 2008, raised money independently, organized independently. Even in 2012, his incredible election day turnout operation was, again, his own independently. So on more and more politicians just going out on their own and saying, we don't need an institution we're going to do, use social media. I would say I don't think many can do that. It does take a lot of money. What a party, a good party needs to do is learn from his model. He organized block to block. People had accountability and expectation they were going to organize their neighborhood, and yeah. they would have a house party. That's what OFA did. Yeah. Why did he do that? Because political parties have stopped doing that. Yeah. And I think the more we as a party say, hey, look what he, you know, Obama's president for a lot of reasons. He's a heck of a speaker and all this other good stuff. But he also knew how to organize at the grassroots level. Parties have forgotten how to do that. And one of the things we're trying to do for 16, but also even more importantly for 18, yes. when we don't have the excitement of a presidential campaign, right. is to reorganize the party so we have precinct executives and ward chairs who actually do the same kind of organizing that folks did in OFA. So I think we need to learn from his model of getting people involved at the grassroots level. That's an excellent idea, and I hope, you know, I trust your ability to get something like that done. What's going to happen now with Hillary? I'm a, well, maybe I should ask you. First of all, Ohio would seem to be a, certainly within the Democratic Party, it should be a, a no-brainer. Ohio is for Hillary. Right. And now you have uh, Ted Strickland, who was the uh, governor of uh, Ohio, now running for the Senate. Also, but he has some competition, I guess, certainly from the Cincinnati right. community, mm -hmm. um, with P.G. Sittenfeld, what's going to happen there? Because the Clintons have said they're, they're going to back Strickland. Right. So is the organization for Hillary? Um, so we haven't taken a stance yet. I think Ohio is very pro-Hillary. Uh, and if you look back at 2008, that primary, the opportunity, if, if let's assume she's the candidate and Ted Strickland yeah. the candidate, that's a one-two punch that actually pulls votes out of red counties that we normally don't, don't have get, any access to. Yeah. So we, you know, the worry is, and this is why we have to get so organized, without OFA, without Obama, there's some places where we might have a little bit of less of a turnout. Sure. We have to make up for that somewhere. And where Hillary did so well in that 08 primary was actually in Claremont County, in Butler County, where Ted Strickland has always done well, is not just in bigger cities, but all up and down the Ohio River. And typically so, Republican yeah, areas. And we may not win those counties, but yeah. the margins of our loss will be a lot less. Uh, and I think a lot of it will be women who are excited about the historic opportunity of having the first woman president. And a lot of it is, is Ted Strickland having the history that he does. So um, I think the two of them together actually offer a unique opportunity that in parts of the state where we normally, let's say in 14, just got clobbered. Yeah. Um, we actually have a chance to pick up a lot more votes than we have in a long time. Well, who's the Republican you fear most for Ohio? Is it Kasich because he's the governor? Uh, I, or I think is if Kasich, you know, in Ohio, he would do well. I think he, yeah. but I don't think he's going to get there. Um, you know, I, I think the in the end, if they pick the more moderate candidate, they're yeah. better off. I think there's an opportunity. For example. Um, you know, you mentioned Jeb Bush, by the way. Yeah. If Bush were to be the candidate, it, amazingly, Ohio would be more important than ever because he probably would win Florida. Yeah. So it literally would be only Ohio. I think the That's more, a great point. Great I point. think the more moderate the candidate, the better off they are. If they end up electing, you know, through, through their primary, a Scott Walker, 
Um, I mean, look at what Walker's done. What he did in, in Wisconsin was yeah. the same as Senate Bill 5 here. Yeah. Um, he he's said he's against the, was against the auto recovery. A guy like that would walk into Ohio and I think would be vulnerable to a blowout. I mean, I think yeah. he's that against Ohio values, as we saw with our Senate Bill 5 fight. So I think that they're going to struggle to come up with a moderate candidate. I think they're going further to the right. Um, and I think that the more right they go, the more likely it is that we'll win Ohio. And right now, the good news is uh, both Hillary Clinton and Ted Strickland have been up by as much as nine points in yeah. recent polls in Ohio. Well, the point I, I guess I would make is it's very hard to fathom 100 years from now looking back at this time period where you have the 1% and the 99%, where you have the income disparity in this country, where you have the tremendous issues of poverty and um, not just in inner cities, but also in rural areas. When you have all of that going on, how in the world do Democrats not win every national election? It just, you know, if you just assume that people would vote their own interest, it should be a blowout every single time. And yet you have people that are wondering, will their health care be taken away? Will, you know, there be no help for the cities? Will minimum wage uh, be defeated? Uh, all these things that affect their lives. And yet they still go to the polls sometimes and vote Republican. Or they don't turn out. Or and they that don't. Was on your or first they point. don't think it's going yeah. to affect them. I mean, your point, and we've been on, on the campaign trail together, and Jerry always makes the, be- the point that the best campaign finance reform is high voter turnout. Yeah. The closer we, through not just, again, the tactics of getting people out, but also the inspiration that it matters to their lives, as soon as we start hitting, and this is what Obama showed, as soon as we start hitting a turnout of 70% yeah. or higher, I don't care how much money the Koch brothers have spent, we'll win the election. Exactly. So, what, so what much on us is about, again, the organizing that, that Obama showed us how to do, yeah. as well as, and this is the harder part, I'd say, uh, I, I think getting people to believe again that voting matters, that they see results from their votes, they see the officials they elect get some things done that matter to them, so they start to see, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so, I elected so-and-so, and he fought for higher wages, and my wages went up because of it, so voting in that election really did help me. Yeah. We've, got to, we've got to create a culture, on our party at least, where, where people don't just hear the spin and, and hear the frame, but they actually see the results, and I think that's how you start getting that number a lot we higher. We can't let the Koch brothers uh, buy this election. And by the way— We ought to be able to win a campaign which say we're anti-Koch. <laughs> You're right. You know, just so, just so you know where the Koch brothers are, they are, they are dropping mail in the Columbus mayor's race right now. That's they spent a million bucks last year against the Columbus Zoo Levy. So when they say they're going to spend $898 million, a whole lot of that is in Ohio on the ground. The Republicans have their convention here. Uh-huh. They've got the Koch brothers here. They've got their first debate here. They're very focused on you know, Ohio. Is it tremendously exciting for you that you are head of this party structure with that backdrop and with the importance, right. is growing importance, is escalating? And not to get too far down in the weeds, but when you came in as a chair just months ago, correct, 
Do you have some ideas about both how to get that organizing done at that set neighborhood level, as well as what Jerry referred to, which is digital campaigning, new media stuff? Right. We've been looking honestly around the country at best practices. We have had input gathering sessions all over Ohio to get input from activists and and officials and and volunteers. So we're putting that together. We're going to, in a few months, meet, have uh, have a summit of all 88 county chairs. We hope that all 88 county chairs will go back to their counties and we'll all have almost a mutual agreement of what organizing is going to mean from now on. I don't blame, let's say, the precinct executive in a a county that they've never done some of the organizing because no one's ever asked them to. No one's ever said, hey, here's the most basic expectation of what being in this party infrastructure means. We've never asked them to. We've never empowered them to. That's what Obama did. He asked people to do it, and then he said, here's how you do it. And that's the kind of conversation we want to have. The other piece, though, is the data. It's never been easier to organize. We have a voter file that can tell you every single voter, when they voted, the last time someone knocked on the door, what they said. So we are spending a lot of money. I know, because if I get one more email. Exactly. (laughs) But but we are 37 every day. Sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. And we're, by the way, we're trying to change that as well. Yeah, you talk to me more than yeah. my wife does. Yeah. No, I don't but know that, that data I would. is But Obama showed the same yeah. thing. That yeah. data and knowing your voters exactly. and empowering people on the ground yeah. to use it to go out and know their voters is also key. Four years ago, on the re-election of President Obama, I've, I was embarrassed because I've been a political activist my whole life. I'd like to hope and think. And I got down literally to election day where I hadn't done any field stuff because I right. normally go out and just get involved in the field operation. This is awesome. And, and when I, I'm about to tell you what I witnessed, told me how he won so easily. And I'm assuming you're going to be doing this kind of stuff. I called the headquarters in, in Cincinnati and I said, it's crazy, but I'm ready to go to work. David, it was five o'clock in the afternoon. And of they said day. of election day, they said, get down here. Do you know where we are? And I did. It was at a union hall. I walk in. They said, have you ever done this before? And I'd run field operations. I said, I know how to do this. They said, you got a cell phone? Yeah. You need a GPS? I got one. You got a flashlight? I got one because now it's getting dark. They handed me a packet. I went out, David, with a packet that had names checked off in a neighborhood, how many times they had knocked on these doors and the ones where the vote had not been counted because they know if somebody shows up, there's vote counting at the polling places right. even. I went out and did it, driving back to the headquarters to turn in the materials. I saw an army of college kids walking urban streets, white kids and black kids carrying the same materials. I called you up and said, we're going to win tonight. We're going to win big. These people are freaking crazy. They are organizing, you know, house by house. That's how to do it. And you know that, and that's what you're going to try to do. And you know what's amazing with the technology? Today you can do that, and it's all on your phone. Yeah. They can upload the list. You knock on the door. You push what they say, and it it. goes back to the mainframe where it immediately records it. So the technology's there. We need the people. I'm this flip phone. I don't think it's going to work there. I... Yeah, we'll we'll keep you with the paper. Yeah. Hey, David, thank if we you. lose because of this, <laughs> thank you very yeah, much. Great, thank you. Thank you. Now, thank you. Thank you, Jerry. This is this is sort of double cool tonight because coincidentally, our musical guest happens to be David Pepper's sister, Susan Pepper, and Susan Pepper, in her own right, is very significant in the roots music movement because, number one, she's a Yale graduate. She also then got her master's at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina, 
where she studied Appalachian culture. She's gone up hollers. She studied research uh, music, roots music, and she's here tonight to sing a song that she wrote that was influenced by a story of a mountain man. Do I have that correct so yeah. far, Susan? First of all, thank Very you good. for being here. Yep. <laughs> Say hello to Susan Pepper. And Susan, tell us the name of the song and then do it for us, please. Okay. This is called The Ballad of Vance Presnell, and I'm uh, performing it on a fretless banjo. <laughs> Thirteen holes in my casket that I built with my brother Ed. The lay flower in every hole. There'll be no questions when I'm dead. I don't know how I'll go, but I know just what I'll wear. A bow tie with paisley blue sequins fit for the news. It's all on me. It's all on you. I was once like you. You will soon be like me. Show the world how I was saved It's all on me It's all on you I was once like you You will soon be like me Susan Pepper from Oxford, Ohio, and for, it's interesting. She's playing. You and I both had played little string instruments back in the day. In Not college. like that. Well, she has no frets, so we can hardly figure out where to put our fingers when with I the play, frets on it. When I play, a lot of people fret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we don't need. Yeah. 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 Uh, Susan, what's the story behind that song? Who was the fellow that was an inspiration for that? Somebody that you met? Uh, actually. Um, when I was visiting back in the mountains uh, several years ago, I came across an article at a friend's house, and it, it was their friend. Um, this was a man born in the 1910s, some, somewhere around there. Um, his name was Vance Presnell. Um, he worked um, growing boxwoods and, and plants. But in this article, there's a picture of him, and he's, got, he's in a homemade casket 
that he built himself standing there with a cane, with a bow tie, and a, um, a white blousy kind of shirt. Um, so he was preparing for his death, and they did this article about his life and, and these um, arrangements he had made. Interesting. Um, and it caught my attention. And also his epitaph was, it's all on me. I was once just like you. You will soon be just like me. It's kind of a message. Um, yeah. It's a good I, song. I better get working. <laughs> <laughs> I've made no preparations. <laughs> and Susan, uh, you're, you'll be performing this summer because you, you perform with a number of groups and sometimes solo. Tell us a little bit about where you might be heard down the line. Um, at the end of July, I'll be at Art Song with Jericho Old Time Band at the Art Museum. And we're going to be at the Ohio State Fair in oh, early August, cool. which great. is exciting. Yeah, good yeah. for you. Your brother didn't know. He, he's just he's just going, really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, how often you guys talk? Nice going. Yeah. That's great. Hey, could you take us out on the old standard uh, Irene Goodnight? And you can pick the key. She's switching to another banjo. This one has frets. Can you sing tonight, Jerry? I'm going to try, but uh, <clears throat> yes, I'll sing. <laughs> if you can play a low octave, yeah. You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Foolery, sponsored by the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Hope to see you all again real soon. back on me, I'll take morphine and way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites and compares prices for you so you can save time and money. Plus, their mobile app is ridiculously easy to use. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. That's promo code SEATS for $20 off. SeatGeek. Right seat, right now, right from your phone.